Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further faster. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about a principle that will help any organization grow. Andy, over the years, I've heard you quote a lot of great leaders and build on their ideas. Build on their ideas, meaning like I steal their ideas and and create content out of them. (laughs) Well, I I like to say that sometimes you make other people's easier to understand and apply. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I I help other leaders clarify (laughs) their original thoughts. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Well, on today's podcast, we're going to talk about a quote uh, from Truett Cathy, the the founder of Chick-fil-A, that we've actually discussed this on a podcast several years ago, but it was so impactful. We we thought we'd look at it again. But before we get to the quote, tell us a little bit of the story about how how we heard it. Well, like, like any leader, I have a board that I'm responsible to, and our board members serve for three years, and then they rotate off. And at their last meeting, I always ask board members to give us some parting thoughts about what mm-hmm. they see, dangers, things that have encouraged them, things to keep our eye on in the you know coming season of our organization. And so we had a vice president from Chick-fil-A who's actually served a couple of times on different boards. And so as he was leaving, um, he told the following story and then left us with this quote. And he was giving us Truett's quote in order to encourage us as an organization. And I thought, wow, that is such mm-hmm. a powerful idea. And so um, anyway, that's that's where this statement came from. Well, what what is the quote? Well, okay. First, I've got to tell you, kind of give you some okay. background. Back in the, um, I guess, the 90s, uh, there was a company called Boston Chicken that eventually became Boston Market. And this was Chick-fil-A's first serious competition mm. because they were in the chicken business. And it was a similar type uh, setup, unlike some of the other fast food change. And uh, Boston Market um, had huge expansion plans. In fact, they wanted to be a billion-dollar company or have a billion dollars in sales by the year 2000. And so um, the, the, you know, the Chick-fil-A insiders were a little bit nervous about mm. this. This was their first you know, real competition in their uh, market space. Same customers. And again, they were looking for a way to grow fast. Right. And so suddenly, as they felt this pressure, they began conversations, Chick-fil-A did, about how to grow bigger and how to grow faster. So as, our, as this vice president shared this story, he said the whole situation culminated in a boardroom at Chick-fil-A headquarters with all their VPs and marketing people um, you know, going back and forth around the mm. table. How do we get bigger, faster, bigger, faster, bigger, faster, so we can compete with Boston Market? And Truett um, was down at the end of the table, and as Dave explains it, he was very, very quiet. In fact, he said it didn't even look like he was engaged at all in the meeting. And then suddenly, he said the first time he's ever seen this happen, Truett started banging his fist on the table (laughs) until he had everybody's attention. I guess he didn't have a bell he could ring. And he said, gentlemen, and this was the quote, he said, gentlemen, I am sick and tired of hearing you talk about us getting bigger. And then he paused. He said, what we need to be talking about is getting better. And then he gave us the quote that I uh, wrote down and hung in my office. He said, if we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. Mm. If we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. Uh, And so um, Dave said this shifted the whole conversation. You know, it was was just a, a defining moment in the conversation and in their strategy. And just, you know, anecdotally, in 2000, Boston Market actually filed for bankruptcy. And it was in that same year that Chick-fil-A hit a billion dollars in sales um, for the very first time. And I just thought, you know, that's how great leaders think. They, they shift the paradigm. They see through a different filter. How do we make it better? Because if we make it better, we believe our customers will, you know, force us to get bigger. Well, Andy, as I said, you've got a gift for making things easy to apply. So how do we 
how do we make our organizations better? Well, I, I think part of the point of our whole of this podcast every single month is to help leaders, as you say, go further faster and to make our organizations uh, better. But I think that the two words, just for the sake of our discussion, are the words clarification and evaluation. If you want to make anything better, it's clarifying, clarification, and evaluation. Well, that is the short answer. Can can you clarify this? <laughs> yeah. Before I jump into clarification evaluation, just the, I just want to say one more thing about getting better. I think as leaders, and maybe this is where some of us get stuck, I think I have to come to work every day assuming it can get better. Mm. I think the day I think it's as good as it can get, that there's no better to better, mm. you know, that this is, it's as better as it's ever going to be. I think that that's a bad sign as a leader. And I think leaders do that for multiple reasons we won't talk about today. So, but I think we have to assume whether it's, again, my division, my department, my branch, you know, my, my standalone restaurant, you know, my church, my parachurch organization. Every day I have to show up and go, you know, we could be better. We could be better. We could be better. Not in, in some negative kind of drive people crazy, but hey, we can be better. There's always room uh, for improvement. I wouldn't think that you would get much pushback on that. Well, you would think that to be the case, but as organizations age and as leaders age, I think we begin to back off from this incessant drive that many of us begin with to make it better, better, better. Um, if you're successful and you're the most successful whatever in your field or in your neighborhood or in your region or in your market right. or maybe in your industry, the drive to make it better, it, 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 again, you look around and you're better than most of your competition. Let's mm. just, you know, let's just keep pounding this same nail. And we and get the, complacent. Well, yeah, we yeah. get complacent. And then I think turn, as far as leaders in their careers, um, you know, in your 30s, you're trying to prove something, you know, to somebody. In right. your 40s, you're trying to prove something to yourself. In your 50s, you look around and go, well, I proved it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what else do I have to prove? Right. So I think we have to be careful because in the life cycle of a, of a company or an individual, it's easy to lose our drive to make things better. And that's why that story with Truett is so fascinating to me because he was by far the oldest person in mm. the room who doesn't need any more money, doesn't need any more influence, doesn't need any more anything. And yet he was the one that clarified the issue. We don't need to push bigger. We need to push better. So, so anyway, I just, just, just wanted to say that. Andy, I think, as you were saying, there's a tendency, once it's established, we, we really see our role to grow it or to market it, but not to make it better. That's a, yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Again, I want to just market what we have, right. grow what I have, but in terms of improving, you know, I, you know, I think we lose our drive sometimes to make it better. It's interesting you would finish by saying that, make it better, because that's actually an idea we've recently incorporated into one of our core documents. Yeah, we were looking at our core documents, and we realized that we didn't have anything specific to our culture. And so we decided, let's identify those things that really make our culture the culture that it is so we can talk about it and protect it, especially for our next generation of leaders that are coming in. And so this story prompted us to take this phrase and make it one of our core statements, mm -hmm. make it better. So it's one of our, we ended up with six behaviors um, that we teach our new staff and that we re reiterate with our the people who've been here for a while. Here are six things that if we do these things, this will protect our culture. And so make it better is one of those. So what we did is we made that one of the statements and then we 
added this as, as a, uh, a question to that statement. What am I doing personally to help us improve organizationally? What am I doing personally to help us improve organizationally? Again, what am I doing personally to make it better? And in the case of our staff, this is something we really felt like we were already doing. Yeah, I think since we, we started North Point, um, we've, we've been on this make it better hunt. We have almost <laughs> no traditions. Nothing stays the same long enough around here to become a tradition <laughs> because we're constantly tweaking and then launching new things to make it better. I feel like sometimes we're like Disney by the other by the time other organizations like ours figure out what we're doing, you know, we've moved on. You know, people right. will say, "Hey, now when you do such and such." I'm like, "Oh no, we haven't done that for 2 years." You know, <laughs> we 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 don't even do that anymore. Again, I think like any healthy organization, we're just not satisfied and good isn't good enough and nothing's final and we're always looking for ways to make things better. Now, the challenge for me personally at this stage in my career, and again, we're perceived in our region as, you know, top of the heap, you know, we're the ones everybody is looking to to emulate to some extent. It would be easy for us to lose that edge. And so we wanted to document that one of the behaviors that every staff member is accountable for is make it better. No matter how good it is, whether you're new or you've been here as long as we have, there's always a way to make it better. Clarification and evaluation is what helps us make it better. By clarification, I mean defining the win. What's the win? What's the bullseye on the target for the critical events in your organization, whether it's sales or marketing or, again, fast food, whatever it might be? What, what's the win? What's the wow we got it right? Because if that's not clear, then it's impossible to evaluate. And if you're not evaluating from the win, then it's impossible to make it better because no one's clear around what it is. Right. So, so if I clarify the win, then in clarifying the win, I know exactly what we're working on. And again, as we'll see in a minute, then, you know, we have a better idea of how to evaluate. But clarifying the win is not an easy process. No. And in fact, we, in our organization, we went through every single department and division. In fact, a year and a half ago, we redid this to ask the question, whether it's preschool, you know, children, middle school, high school groups, um, special events, our weekend services, what's the win? Give me one or two statements that would, that your staff could say, you know what, if we do that effectively, that was the win for that event. And again, we are in the event world in terms of what we do as a ministry. But in every industry and every um, every marketplace leader, they, they know here's the critical event in terms of success for this organization. So to make anything better, you've got to clarify exactly what it is in such a way that everybody understands what we're trying to do. Andy, this seems so basic. Why, why would a leader not do this? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because it requires meetings, the okay. dreaded M word. <laughs> you have to sit down with people and spend hours in, in, in an environment where it feels like you're not doing anything and gotcha. you're not making any progress because you're talking about words and there's whiteboards and there's post-it notes and because really clarifying the win is it's it's a process and it's difficult but once you get it mm. you know for us to create a church unchurched people love to attend I mean so much hangs on that statement but that didn't magically appear in someone's dream that was okay what are we here to do what are we here what are we here to do so again clarifying the win takes time I think leaders, especially depending on personality, you know, we don't have time for that. Let's just, we know what we're doing. We're selling stuff. You know, we're building stuff. We're hiring people. You know, we're, we're, we're you know, we're, we're looking, for, you know, for a new market. So, again, stopping long enough to clarify the win and creating terminology that everybody can embrace. It, it's huge, but it, it, it takes time. Andy, a win sounds like a goal, but it, it's actually much more. Yeah. You know, you reach a goal. 
but you experience a win. And, and again, as subtle as this is, this is so huge. When a leader or a leadership team or management team can take static goals, especially if they're numeric, mm. and, cre- and can create terminology around a win. What is the win? Not just the goal. What's the win? Um, there, there's just more energy. It's easier to communicate. And I, I think it's easier for people to rally around. So if you're going to make anything better, then you've got to know what is the win. Yeah. Andy, I remember one of the things that you did really around this principle of clarifying the win that was so helpful is that you gave every one of us, your direct reports, a one-sentence job description. It was yeah. it was our personal win in the organization. Yeah, and again, that was really difficult because your job description, you know, most people's job descriptions in any organization is a page or two. Right. But to ask, you know, but for me, I just remember obsessing over, okay. What's the one thing? You know, if Lane doesn't, what's the one thing? And to come in and say, if all else fails, if you want to know the lens through which I'm evaluating mm-hmm. both your value to the organization and your success, here it is. So, again, even clarifying the win down to the, the um, you know, the role of individuals in the organization, it's a very, very powerful thing to do. So, Andy, that's clarification. Right. Now we're going to talk about evaluation. Yeah, to make it better, there's got to be clarity clarity around the it, you know, what is it we're trying to do, and then evaluation. And I would imagine everybody in our podcast audience has some kind of evaluation, mm-hmm. but evaluation is no better than the standard against which you're evaluating. And again, it goes back to the clarity around what are we trying to do, and then building into the rhythm of the organization, you know, uh, an evaluation process. One of the things that, um, that I tell leaders Sometimes, depending on you know marketplace leaders, especially the tendency is to always evaluate against, evaluate against the numbers, mm. and there has to be a place where you evaluate success against the numbers. But I think in more industries than not, there is also an experiential evaluation that we have to pay attention to. And some people go purely anecdotal; that's not healthy. People go purely numerical; that's not healthy either. So, trying to create an evaluation process that takes both into consideration, I, I think, is important. But that's you know that's somewhat industry specific. I've heard you say many times that anything worth doing is worth evaluating. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, for us, uh, we have weekly events, so we have weekly evaluations. Sometimes our evaluations last longer than the events themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, and, and I tell you one of the reasons why. And this is something that we've, you know, that we we talk about a good bit in our management team and our leadership team meetings. That you know, the tendency is generally to evaluate what didn't work mm. and to give almost no time to evaluating what does work. And I think one of the reasons that people don't learn from evaluations is basically evaluation becomes a fix-it session. Let's fix it. Let's fix what didn't work last time. And one of the things that we've learned is that some of our greatest learnings come from evaluation, evaluating what worked right. um, to make sure it continues to work. And again, this takes us back to the theme of this podcast. The theme of the podcast is how do you make it better? And you can't make it better if all you do in your evaluation sessions is fix what broke. To make it better, you have to evaluate what worked in order to make it better. So, again, the way we do evaluation, I think, determines whether or not evaluation really is a leverage point for uh, making our organizations better. So what you're saying, then, the the assumption is if nothing's wrong, then everything was right. But right isn't the goal. Better is the goal. Yeah, better is the goal. Well, not too long ago, you you took our team through an article from Harvard Business Review that kind of shed light on this idea. Yeah, um, 
it was about a year and a half ago. We read an article called, we read it together called Why Leaders Don't Learn from Success. Um, and the authors talked about what they termed the failure to ask why syndrome, which is kind of cool, which is basically the tendency not to investigate the causes of good performance. Hmm. We are so quick to investigate the causes of bad performance, but because of time, because of whatever, we don't pause long enough to investigate you know, the causes of good performance. I want to read just a couple of sentences from this article. I thought it was so helpful. The author says, when we're confronted with failure, it's natural to ask why disaster struck. Unfortunately, success doesn't trigger such soul searching. I thought that was a, mm. a phenomenal idea. Success is commonly interpreted as evidence not only that your existing strategy and practices work, but also that you have all the knowledge and information you need. So sometimes success is the worst enemy of making anything better. If I want to make it better, then I have to evaluate success as well as failure. And that's not intuitive, I think, for most leaders. And I think part of the reason why is we don't like meetings and we're in a hurry and we're ready to get you know back to the real work. And Andy, in, in a similar way, I've heard you say when you talk about momentum – that if you've got momentum, if you don't know why you have momentum, yeah. you better find out or you may stop what you're doing that's creating the momentum. Yeah, we're always one dumb decision away from, <laughs> from you know, undermining our own success. And again, if we don't understand why what works works, it's almost impossible to protect the things that work. Well, anything else on evaluation? The only other thing I would add, and um, this is something that's thematic, I think, in our podcast, evaluation always has to be unfiltered. Nothing can be off limits. If you can't talk about it, you can't make it better. And if you can't criticize it, you can't make it better. Howard Hendricks in graduate school used to say, experience doesn't make you better. Only evaluated experience makes you better. Experience just puts you in a rut. So again, creating environments where everything's on the table and nothing's off limits um, is key to having real evaluation. Andy, in your book, Deep and Wide, you talk about the importance of fresh eyes in the evaluation process. Talk about that. Yeah, the bottom line here is that if you look at something long enough, it basically disappears in plain sight. And this is so true in organizational life. The longer I'm in, the less aware I am of. The longer anybody's in a culture, the less aware of the culture they become. So for evaluation to be effective from time to time, we need fresh eyes on the organization. We need fresh ears in terms of the communication. Um, we need people who are experiencing whatever it is we're doing for the first time and somehow getting from them the benefit of their first time experience. And so we've, we've built things into the rhythm of our organization, especially our weekend events to capture um, that information. And then with employees, our six-month and one-year evaluations that they do of mm. us and that they do of our, their experience in our organization is a way that we capture that. Because again, the longer anybody is somewhere, the less aware of it they become. Andy, as we close out the podcast today, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think what Truett said is applicable to leaders in just about any field, that if we make it better than our customers or whoever it is that we're trying to impact or involve, if we make it better, they will demand that we make it bigger. So in every organization, we need to clarify what the it is, then we need to do actual evaluation, and we should never be satisfied, regardless of our age, where we are in our career, um, or the, even the maturity and success of our organization, we should never be satisfied because there's always a way to make it better. Andy, thanks so much for taking this time with us today. And I want to thank our audience for listening as well. We want to remind you that you can check out andystanley.com. That's andystanley.com for free audio and video content, event schedules, and more, all designed to help leaders go further, faster.